Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I hope you're feeling good. Hope you're staying cool if you're in uh, the part of the world that I'm in because it's extremely hot. It's like very hot, very sticky, very disgusting. 100 and something degree heat index. One of those days where you just don't want to go outside. Luckily, and that was yesterday, that was Saturday, it was the whole weekend. But luckily, we had a lot of excellent soccer to watch all across North America. Gold Cup, MLS, NASL, all of that stuff happening. And we will get into some of the major storylines here in just a minute. This show has, featuring two guests, Eric Gomez, our friend covering Mexican soccer down south of the border. He'll join us to talk about that controversial win for Mexico, which I'm going to get to in the headlines in a second. And we have lined up, provided nothing goes wrong here, Mr. Andrew Jennings. Yes, investigative reporter Andrew Jennings, who most recently made an appearance at the Senate subcommittee hearing in Washington, D.C., to talk about FIFA corruption uh, at the behest of the U.S. Senate. We'll get his thoughts on that experience, on what the U.S. government can legitimately do now, uh, because we have some more revelations as it pertains to FIFA's uh, next steps and whether or not they actually want to reform. And remember, Snow Galati was not in attendance at this hearing. It was Dan Flynn, CEO of U.S. Soccer, who uh, who appeared. So we'll talk to Andrew Jennings about his thought. He's uh, he, he was absolutely on fire at that hearing last week. All right, here are your headlines on a Monday morning. First and foremost, Mexico making it into the uh, Cold Cup semifinals where they will face Panama by virtue of the latest, softest, most controversial pen- penalty I've perhaps ever seen in an international tournament. Mexico tied with Costa Rica into extra time, 122nd, 123rd minute so late that the clock was essentially off at that point. Uh, Oriva Peralta with a slight nudge in the back, perhaps by Roy Miller, although that even seems to be a little harsh on Roy, gets the penalty call. Uh, Andres Guardado steps up, puts it away, and now Costa Rica is gone. Mexico is moving forward. We get all of the thoughts from uh, Eric Gomez on that performance from Mexico. The fact that it took that controversial penalty says a lot about Mexico's finishing in that match. They were the better team over the course of 120 minutes, created many, many more chances than Costa Rica, were unable to put it away. Carlos Vela had an absolute nightmare for for Mexico, unable unable to put away a couple of very, very, very good chances. That FIFA not that FIFA news that I mentioned, Sepp Blatter, will remain FIFA president until. February of 2016, FIFA has announced it will hold a special Congress to elect his successor on February 26th of 2016, meaning he is set to remain in power for another seven months. An extraordinary meeting of FIFA's executive committee decided on the date of the election, despite UEFA members having pushed for an earlier date. Candidates for the position will have to be nominated before October 26th. Michelle Platini has emerged as the favorite, obviously. Blatter announced, remember, on June 2nd that he will step down as FIFA president. Ultimately, what he actually said was, uh, I'm laying down my mandate and letting people vote again. Uh, And in in the subsequent weeks since his announcement, all he's really said is that if he if they want him to continue, he will continue. Uh, We are still dealing with the aftermath of the FBI investigation. 
the Department of Justice indictments. In fact, the latest on that front is that Jeffrey Webb has been extradited to the United States after being arrested in Switzerland. The other Gold Cup semifinal as I go back to that tournament, Panama advancing past Trinidad and Tobago on penalties. Jaime Pinedo with a save on the in the ninth round of penalties against Trinidad and Tobago uh, to put Trinidad uh, to put uh, sorry P- uh, Panama through. They obviously mentioned they will play Mexico in the next round. Meanwhile, Jamaica beat Haiti in the other semi uh, sorry the other quarterfinal, and now Jamaica is lined up to play the United States in Atlanta on Wednesday. Let's turn now to MLS. The score lines here for. Major League Soccer in week 20 of the season, 20-whatever. The notation of the weeks is always difficult in MLS based on midweek uh, rounds and the like. Regardless, Toronto FC 2, Philadelphia Union 1, Sebastian Javinko again keying the attack for Toronto, an assist setting up Marco Marky Delgado and a goal of his own. Uh, after a blistering shot was saved, he put back the rebound. rebound. New York Rebels 2, Orlando City 0, very good performance. Sasha Kleshton with a fantastic goal in that game. New England Revolution 1. NYCFC 0. Notable there because in, uh, because New England ended their five-game losing streak with that victory. Lee win with the goal. Sporting Kansas City uh, 2. Montreal Impact 1. Not a dominant performance by any stretch for Kansas City, but they'll take that win at home. I believe that's eight straight wins in all competitions for Sporting at Sporting Park. FC Dallas 2. DC United 1. Fabian Castillo with a putback in the, the dying minutes of that match to give the West leaders a win over the East leaders. And speaking of former West leaders, <coughs> excuse me, Seattle falls to Colorado at home one nothing. Surprising result there. Obviously, Seattle suffering without their big-name stars. Real Salt Lake 2, Houston Dynamo 0, big win for RSL. Javier Morales with a fantastic goal. Portland Timbers 1, Whitecaps 1. Matias Laba with a late goal to salvage a point for uh, for the Whitecaps. Columbus Crew 3, Chicago Fire 1. Big win for Columbus Crew. Uh, Ethan Finley, Kai Kamara hooking up again. And back to Friday, the game I missed, LA Galaxy win 5-2 over San Jose in Steven Gerrard's debut. He did score a goal in that match, his first ever in MLS League play. Rumors, rumors, rumors. Didier Drogba rumored to be talking to MLS, specifically the Montreal Impact. There's a story out there from Noel Butler, excuse me, at TSN's website, tsn.ca, outlining that discussions between Didier Drogba and Montreal have progressed fairly, uh, fairly far along. In fact, so far along that they've been uh, these negotiations have been held entirely in French, which of course is the first language of both. Uh, Montreal, the Quebec uh, uh, province, and Didier Drogba, the Ivorian striker. All right, let's step aside. We'll take a minute. We'll come back. We'll reset. When we get back, we will talk to Eric Gomez about Mon- about Mexico's controversial win over Costa Rica last night. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. 
But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here, back on Soccer Morning on a Monday. It feels like Monday. Monday's not treating me very well. But we're here, and Eric Gomez is on the line. That should make things a lot better. Eric, how are you, sir? I'm hoping I can make things a lot better, especially for Mexico fans uh, listening to your show, but... uh... No promises. Well, let's be let's be uh, upfront and blunt about this. Uh, Mexico had their asses saved last night, Eric. I mean, regardless of what you make of the penalty, uh, certainly Mexico didn't do enough to win that game through 120 minutes because they couldn't put the ball in the net. No, they could not. It was um, just a very, I don't know, it was a weird game. It was harrowing uh, for Mexico on both ends. I think that's um, part of the reason it was so weird to see that end in, in the uh, 120th minute penalty. The uh, there was a lot of controversy in that game uh, at the end of that match. I mean, uh, you know, here in the U.S. we had the uh, we had the Fox Soccer team. Stuart Holden was actually uh, doing um, commentary, and he actually he threw some praise at the referee just before. Ariba Peralta went in with a with a lovely little scissors tackle that probably could have gotten him sent off. There was no card shown um, in that situation, and then or, or the, the red card certainly didn't come out. And then we get the penalty in the hundred and twenty whatever it was. Right. I, I, you know, and, and and some of this today, Eric, is that this is very Concacaf, and this makes Concacaf look bad, et cetera, et cetera. How is this playing in in Mexico? Because you know, we, we've obviously got a connection between last summer and what happened against the Dutch and, and this penalty call and people <clears throat> talking about penalties in general. How is this being handled in, in the press? You know, I think it's being handled the way that we would expect it to. There's a lot of irony. You mentioned it in Mexico spending an entire year obsessed about a, you know, a non-call or rather a bad call uh, in the World Cup. And now we come full circle a year later with Mexico receiving one of, you know, a very hideous penalty call uh, to help it move on in the Gold Cup. So, you know, it's not being handled very well. I think there is a, <clears throat> a pretty clear division uh, uh, to the uh, the opinion uh, of whether it was a penalty or not. And I think one of the most interesting things that we saw last night is that um, the, the former Mexican referee, Marco Rodriguez, who's a, uh, a huge fixture on, on Twitter, practically came on and said, you know what, this was a penalty, but the way that, you know, Oribe sold the penalty is what's making um, all of this discussion possible. So, you know, in essence, I think we were all witnesses to that call, and we would say that, yeah, there was 
<clears throat> contact, but there's that whole discussion as to whether any contact within the box should be called a penalty. And, um, and of course, the way that you sell that as a player is a very, very meaningful way to attract attention uh, to the referee. And in this case, that, that was it. Um, of course, CONCACAF operates in such a way that these things are, I would say, way more possible than any other place in the world. But I think it's it's just a very, very difficult pill to swallow for Mexico uh, today to say, well, we played a lot better than Costa Rica for practically the entire game, but uh, we only got through because of a, a, a very iffy penalty kick call. So, you know, I think we were kind of managing the reaction on Twitter yesterday. It was, it was a very visceral. It was, it was very aggressive in most cases, but it was still... Uh, I think indicative of where we are as a confederation in Concacaf and, and where we are as as, as a uh, competition in the Gold Cup. You know, this refereeing is, is is a very very sensitive issue with Concacaf, and of course we saw it in other competitions this summer, like the Copa America, and that's of course probable. But still, you know, I think that this this issue uh, won't go away anytime soon for Concacaf, and and unless we get other teams in the final, regardless of, of whether they deserve it or not, and that's something that we can talk about later. Um, this type of discussion will, will remain active until then. Yeah, uh, As you said, over the course of the, of the game, Mexico the better team. Um, Costa Rica still can feel aggrieved today based on, on the penalty decision. But let's talk about Mexico's performance, because for as, as much as they were the better team, there were certainly some individual performances that are uh, uh, that that won't be uh, upheld as, as some of the great in uh, Mexico soccer history. Andres Guardado was fantastic in the middle of the field, and you could argue that defensively Mexico did pretty well. Uh, uh, we almost had one of the goals of the century from Joel Campbell at one point, but beyond that, and that was offside ultimately. But beyond that, they they played fairly well. But you know, Carlos Vela, what exactly happened there? Well, Carlos Vela is. And, you know, excuse me for, for saying this so bluntly. I mean, he's overweight right now. And, uh, that's really affected his form. I think that he's still the best Mexican player on the pitch. And that's really saying something about his individual talent. I'm not trying to take anything away from, from the rest of the guys, but, uh, he's just not been in form. And I think that he's, he's a little bit off because of that extra weight. Um, it's pretty apparent that he wants or he came into this tournament pretty much wanting the weight of the Mexican team on his shoulders, and that hasn't really paid off for him or for Mexico. We've seen the Mexican team go to him less and less as, as the tournament has gone on. I think against Cuba and Guatemala, uh, you know, Velo was getting a pass. He was getting possession pretty much every time Mexico had the ball. Now they've gone away from him a little bit, and the team has actually flowed a little bit better because of that. But still, you know, once once you get the opportunities that Bella has had in front of goal, especially against Costa Rica, and you start to miss those on a regular basis, then you really have to look at the ambiance and, and what, what's going around, what's going on around the Mexican team, and chalk it up to that old that old enemy of Mexico um, and the Mexican people, which is the you know the psychology and the overbearing thought that you will fail when you get the opportunity. Um, Mexico has been just completely awful in front of goal. If you look at their buildup <clears throat> throughout these four games, you know, they should be 
doing a lot better than they are right now. And again, I know that we talked last time about how the United States hasn't been playing all that well. We talked about how Costa Rica wasn't playing all that well. They certainly showed it again last night. But that's no excuse for Mexico. They should be <clears throat> they should be doing a lot better in this tournament, and they should be pushing towards a final that uh, that certainly everybody expects against the United States. But they should be doing so in a much more convincing manner. So to see a guy like Carlos Vela struggle that much can only be, uh, you know, regardless of his physical condition at the, at the moment, it has to be because of the the pressure and the psychology surrounding the Mexican team that has really taken a toll so much so that they banded together a couple of days before the game to, you know, basically beat up on on Mexico's top sports newspaper. You know, the record alleged that they had held a players-only meeting and they had basically decided that if they didn't win this tournament, that they would ask Miguel Herrera to be fired, which is, of course, a very, very delicate accusation. Players came out and said that that was completely not true. But the way that they said that it was not true was... Very, very, again, difficult, a difficult pill to swallow because they, they kept giving us different alibis and they kept saying, well, we did have a players-only meeting, but that's not what we talked about. And then, you know, Guardado came up and said we didn't have any sort of players-only meeting, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just a very, very weird uh, passage uh, during this Gold Cup. Well, it's, give me a, give me your thoughts on Herrera at this point. I mean, I, again, and, and you and I have talked about it, and, and Tom Marshall and I have talked about it. There was always a sense that eventually Miguel Herrera's enthusiasm would sort of run out, start hitting a wall. The players might not respond to it like they did before. I mean, we know he got them through qualifying at a difficult time right. by turning to domestic players. This is a team that is... Mexico's best team. It's filled with players who are overseas and in Europe, and and obviously some of Mexico's biggest stars in the league wise. Is is that the is that the issue? Is it that that you know wherever the the the, the tactic ch- tactical changes and the enthusiasm met has has now waned in in influence? Well, I would absolutely say that the honeymoon is over with Miguel Herrera, and it has been for at least a month now especially after that disastrous Copa America campaign, the, the friendlies that preceded it and the political tweets that really you know, got him in trouble with the government uh, more so than the fans. Um, I would still say that despite that, uh, you have to be able to manage Mexico's best team. And he's been flip-flopping and wavering on his preferred formation, which is the 5-3-2, which should also tell you something about Miguel Herrera. I don't think that he he can really handle this team. Um, I think that he's way more comfortable with handling a group of domestic players or handling a group of guys that he's worked worked with in the past. And I think that that's a very just a very heavy thing for him to handle to have guys like Carlos Vela and Chicharito, et cetera, on his squad. Uh, we saw a little bit of that during the World Cup, of course. Uh, the way that he handled that during the World Cup was different because there was virtually no pressure on him. Mexican fans didn't expect, and I think this is the key difference, Mexican fans didn't expect anything out of Mexico in the World Cup because of the way that Mexico had qualified to the World Cup. So when they got to the tournament and they beat Cameroon and they beat Croatia and they pulled off that, that draw against Brazil, you know, they really felt like anything was possible, which is why that, that come down against the Netherlands was, was so difficult. Um, but, you know, you, you turn the page and you're, you're here a year later 
and you've got Carlos Vela, which was not a, who was not at that World Cup. You've got Giovanni Dos Santos. You've got um, players like Jonathan Dos Santos, Memo Ochoa, etc. People are going to expect you to win, especially in Concacaf. So to go back to that point, the pressure that has been brought on the Mexican team and Miguel Herrera in particular has been too much for them to handle. Now, do I expect them to play better against Panama? At this point, I don't know. You know, it's just too difficult to tell because um, the, that pressure bubble is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Who knows if, if it'll pop against Panama? Who knows if it'll pop against the, in the final or if it won't pop at all? But um, it's certainly a very interesting question. You know, what's stunning to me is <clears throat> chance after chance after chance. I mean, I, I don't know how many they created last night. I, I feel like it was 8 to 10. Eric, I mean, I haven't looked at the stats, but it felt like a, a, a significant number of good chances. Um, I don't know what the shots on goal were, but those were obviously skewed by the fact that they couldn't put fairly simple shots on goal. Alvarado didn't have to make that many saves. That's, I mean, that's the stunning thing to me. I mean, if you if you go up against a great goalkeeper, they have facing Jaime Pinedo in the next round. He could very well, very well stand on his head and, and beat Mexico by himself. We don't know. But it just you know, and, and to face a Costa Rica team without Kaylor Navas and and to not test Alvarado significantly at all, all all night is is that was the stunning thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's another thing that I looked at um, that has been endemic of Mexico during this Gold Cup, which is they're not using their heads and they're not developing strategy the way that they should in front of goal. And and a key example of that is the way that they keep sent, uh, you know trying to hook centers into the box. Um, despite them having strikers that are much shorter than most of these teams' defensive units. Happened against Trinidad, happened against Costa Rica, happened against Guatemala. <clears throat> I don't know how you expect guys like Oribe Peralta, Giovanni Santos, and Carlos Vela to head the ball against guys who are six foot three, six foot four. So <laughs> they, they might be missing these chances, but I think that's, that's the more troubling thing. Now, um, Again, I mean, they, they've gotten to this point, and, and winning is the most important thing. And and I, whatever the reasons, I mean, there were some there were some people throwing out some some major accusations last night. And I, I don't, we we can't prove any of that. We can't, you know. Look, the, the problem is that there's going to be bias for the big teams in Concacaf, whether the the referee is doing something wrong, quote unquote, or not. Right. Eric, and, and 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 I guess from a perception standpoint, we've already talked about sort of the the viewpoint of uh, of the Mexican press and and. You know, I had some Mexican fans who seemed pretty deluded about the call, but hey, whatever. I mean, right. it's your team. You're supposed to be. If this, if Mexico goes on to win the tournament, do, are we going to remember this at all, or is this going to be one of those things that just sort of gets lost to history, and then Concacaf doesn't feel any pressure to continue to fix the problems that they have endemically? I think it'll get lost in history unless it continues to happen, unless we get a controversial call in favor of Mexico in the semifinal and in case it happens again in the final. Um, this is the type of thing that happens every two years. We just have very short memories. Um, it's, it's a very difficult thing for us to realize as CONCACAF fans that this is the world that we live in sometimes. I'm still quite surprised that people are surprised at this type of thing happening. You know, I was disappointed with the call. I was disappointed with the way that Mexico was able to win this game. But as you mentioned, um, they won the game. So <clears throat> that's got to be worth something. That's got to be, um, that's got to be telling of the way that the game evolved over 120 minutes. Um, the fact remains that whether Mexico wins this tournament or not, 
it does seem pretty apparent that CONCACAF wants the U.S.-Mexico final that they have not had since 2011. So that is definitely an issue worth looking at because, as I mentioned last night on Twitter, I mean, isn't CONCACAF supposed to be in the middle of this big reform again? Yeah. You know, isn't this, isn't this supposed to be um, a day or a time in which CONCACAF kind of rises up above the fray and says, you know what, <clears throat> we've been pretty shady in the past. We don't want to be that that organization anymore. And we're going to make strides towards making sure that that happens. Um, that certainly doesn't seem to be the case so far, but I do think that if Mexico wins this tournament, it'll be more so, or at least I hope that it will be more so based on, on the quality of players that they have. And, um, you know, just the opposition that they face. Um, CONCACAF, as we all know, is just not a very good, uh, representation of, of, of the world's best soccer teams. I think it's, you know, it's always been Mexico, the United States, and then everybody else. Now we've kind of broadened that to include Costa Rica and sometimes Honduras, but still, I mean, this is, this is very well becoming a breakout tournament for Jamaica. And I don't think many people saw that coming, but, um, it, it, I think the 2015 gold cup, regardless of what happens, unless we have an epic game like we had in 2011, uh, for the final, this will be remembered as a tournament that was just not kind to the big to the bigger teams, regardless of, of how they ended up. Um, I still think that Mexico is just they just need confidence, man. I mean, this is, this is it seems simple enough to say, but uh, they got the better players in the tournament again. No disrespect to the United States or to Costa Rica. I think that this is the best team assembled in Concacaf but they're just not able to put together for whatever reason. And I think it's all, it's all in their heads. All right, uh, Eric, tell, let's, let's, uh, I want to focus on a couple of players. Tell, tell me, and I think for a lot of people, this was their first real exposure. Eric Rodalda cannot stop talking about this kid. Jesus Manuel Corona. Tell me about him. Degadito Corona is a guy who has been on Mexican fans radar for, I think the last two or three years, really. I think he broke out during a, um, a uh, People Wolf Club Cup uh, when he was with Monterey played a huge game against Chelsea and that really prompted a bunch of offers from the Premier League. He eventually ended up in, in the Netherlands and um, <clears throat> a pretty quiet first season for him over, over at Twente. Exploded last season and I think he's he's a guy that Mexican fans really need to keep an eye on because he embodies what Mexican soccer is supposed to be which is just the flair and the speed and the intelligence aspect of the game. Um, he's a very, he's just a very capable player. He's hungry. He's the lone holder, holdover from Copa America into the Gold Cup. And I would expect him to continue to have these performances because he just seems to be above the whole psychological aspect of the game so far. He did have a couple of, of pretty errant passes after, after great individual showings last night against Costa Rica. But I still think that he's a guy that Mexico, you know, you don't want to hitch your wagon to one guy, especially on the national team level. But Corona is definitely a guy that, that can assume that role in, in the near future. He's um, being compared to, and, and I stress this, <laughs> I stress this as a, a very strange comparison to make, as a, a younger version of Giovanni Dos Santos. Um, he's a, a player who is able to <clears throat> take on two, three, four defenders at a time and, and finish the play. Um, he should be able to get more minutes against Panama. I think that, that it's a, it, it's been a pretty difficult sell 
for Miguel Herrera so far because he has a lot of players who play in Corona's position, you know, mainly Carlos Vela, Giovanni Santos, even Carlos Esquivel, who has been fantastic. Uh, but Corona has definitely won won the right to to be in the starting lineup against Panama. So I I, I kind of expect that to happen right now. Obviously, yeah. There's a bit of um, revenge possible here. Mexico knocked out of the Nicole, the Gold Cup in the semifinal stage by Panama. In 2013, um, if if Panama is going to get the job done this time, you, you know, do they have? Is there any reasonable approach that you might expect uh, beyond just hope that Mexico continues to pin, to finish poorly and that uh, that Pinedo makes a, a couple of big saves? Yeah, I think that this is a different game than the one that we had two years ago, mainly because of the um, the squad depth and um, and because Chepo Laporta was was way more pressured. Then Miguel Herrera, I think that Miguel Herrera, even if he does lose this game, he's still not going to get fired, although a lot of Mexican fans will ask for that. Um, even then, I think that this is a definitely a way better team than, than Mexico had in 2013, and that should should be a, um, a crucial difference for them this time. Um, but I don't think Panama can, can really do much more than that. I think Mexico is going to dominate possession. I think that uh, their manager... Uh, Bolillo Gomez knows that, and I think that they are going to rely on that tried and true formula. You know, beat yourself, Mexico, because you know we're going to give you the ball. We're going to allow our de- defensive unit to handle the brunt of pressure during this game. And uh, you know, you mentioned that we you know, Panama has a great goalkeeper, and uh, if Pinedo makes key saves early and often, then he's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, within within the frame of that goal. So. <laughs> To expect Mexico to kind of come out three days later after this pretty weird performance and, uh, and and just kind of shake it off, they haven't been able to shake anything off during this Gold Cup. So why should Panama expect anything different? I think it'll be very interesting to see um, what happens to Mexico if a goal doesn't come in the first 30 minutes of that game. Uh, if you if if that game does not go to plan with a, with an, a goal in the first thirty, as you just said, is there a likelihood? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is how how you view Herrera's um, management at this point in this tournament with these particular issues. I mean, um, you know, with Giovanni DeSantos is injured, he's bringing on uh, you know young players to try to change the game. Is is right. is his man man? I mean, his his management of the roster and of this lineup. What you want want to see? Where where are the changes possible? I guess. Uh, you know, I don't think that he's been doing a good enough job of, of um, working strategy um, in game. You know, pregame, I, I think his lineups have been what you would expect. Um, even when replacing a guy like Giovanni Dos Santos for this last game, I think he did a good job. But once teams are able to figure out that they can work with that, defensively speaking, and neutralize certain players or rely on Mexico to, to make their own mistakes, then that's when it becomes difficult for Miguel Herrera. The in-game adjustments are, are where he's been uh, pretty deficient. And uh, we saw that during the entire group stage, um, Guatemala and Trinidad and Tobago especially, when he's faced with a scoreline that he doesn't want to be faced with, um, he pretty much just goes 12-year-old playing FIFA 15, you know, he'll just sub in as many strikers and as many offensive players as he can, 
and that just absolutely decompensates his his um his midfield and his defensive unit, and that's why we saw Trinidad and Tobago just have an absolute party against Mexico in the third game of that group stage. So, you know, to answer your question, pregame, I think his lineups are, they're fine. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely better than, than, than you would, uh, it's definitely better than you would expect the results to be at this point. But, um, but he doesn't know how to make these in-game adjustments that can push Mexico over the top um, against some of these weaker teams in CONCACAF. That's been pretty clear. He's been out-coached, I think, three of the four games that we've seen Mexico play in. So that's not a very a very shining endorsement for him. All right. Uh, just very quickly, in one word, does Mexico get the job done against Panama in the, sem- in the uh, semifinals? Yeah, I think they will. I think they'll win, and I think they um, they won't do it comfortably, but they'll they'll get through Eric Gomez covering uh, Mexican soccer. Follow him on Twitter, Eric Gomez 86 Eric, appreciate the time as always. Excellent to chat, and we'll have you back, you know, when we get to whatever happens next for Mexico. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping we're not talking about a catastrophe for, for Mexico and uh, and CONCACAF in general because they, they really do want this final to happen. So, yeah, hey, well, Mexico-U.S., nothing would be better. Let's just hope they don't massage things to make it happen. Let's take a break. When we come back, Andrew Jennings will join us. Yes, Andrew Jennings. You're not going to want to miss that conversation. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning, and I'm very excited to have Mr. Andrew Jennings on the line with me now from the UK. Andrew Jennings, A. Andrew Jennings on Twitter. Go get his book, Omerta, Sepp Blatter's FIFA Organized Crime Family on Amazon and other booksellers, I imagine. Andrew, how are you this morning, this afternoon? (laughs) Well, I'm still in a state of shock after... Uh, testifying at the Senate in Washington last Wednesday. Obviously, that's where we want to go. That's what we want to talk about, Andrew. First of all, just, you know, beyond the issue of FIFA corruption, beyond what the uh, the ostensible reason for your presence was, what was the experience like for you? Well, I have testified before, back in 1999, uh, when John McCain uh, chaired the Senate Commerce Committee, which uh, takes responsibility for sport. 
Uh, I testified about IOC corruption and the very strange people inside the International Olympic Committee. So, in a sense, I was quite relaxed going in there. I thought, I've been here before. Let's see what happens this time. And in this in this particular case, the focus was FIFA, not the IOC. The IOC has gone through their reckoning, Andrew. The FIFA has yet to do that. Um, we in the states have seen these before. You've you've been to one before. I, I'm not sure that if, if you expected something material to come out of it, or if you were aware that more often than not, it's about sound bites and 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 television and the way that they look, uh, rather than what is actually determined. Well, you do have those elements, but of course, it's uh, for a reporter like me, it's important to get over some messages through uh, the various media covering it and seeing which senators were awake. I was certainly impressed <laughs> with Senator Blumenthal from okay. Connecticut, sure. a former criminal prosecutor. He understood what was going on. He summed it up very well that uh, he thought describing the FIFA as mafia was, was not necessarily a good idea because it kind of disgraced the mafia because they'd <laughs> never be so amateur was so arrogant about the way they did business. I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, certainly that was uh, that was a, a, a quip for the uh, uh, for the for the record. Uh, Blumenthal was he is uh, he is fairly rabid about some of the issues that are facing. U.S. soccer, and it's not just about FIFA and governance, it's uh, about some other things within U.S. soccer, which he did not bring up to his credit. He kept this on on uh, topic for the most part. Um, your criticisms of U.S. soccer, I imagine, are, are mine, but with more weight because you're Andrew Jennings. Can you, can, can you lay those out for me? Because, again, I understand why Dan Flynn was there, but I, I'm not sure I understand why Sunil Gulati was not. I don't understand. Well, I've got to guess why Galati wasn't there. That's because he doesn't want to ask any, answer any questions about the wonderful lifestyle he has uh, and the, the, his, his dreams that he has any power at FIFA by staying with the set blatter way of doing things. And I think it was an absolute disgrace that when a, a, a reputable Senate committee, subcommittee, decides to have a hearing on how U.S. soccer uh, is relating to the corrupt FIFA, he doesn't turn up. And instead, he sends his bag carrier, Dan Flynn, who spent most of the time telling us how they organize uh, American soccer, which is for another time. It was about, is, does, Amer does American soccer recognize what a bunch of criminals they are running FIFA? And he didn't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so much of this is obviously tied to Chuck Blazer, who while being the whistleblower and the uh, the uh, provider of, of much of the evidence that the FBI and the Department of Justice used to go after FIFA figures, was also a man who uh, ran, uh, you know, who did a lot of things within U.S. soccer and was tied very closely to figures within U.S. soccer and was also taking money out of, out of soccer and, and doing things he shouldn't have been doing. Um, is there any reasonable logic that could explain... U.S. soccer not uh, knowing Chuck Blazer was doing things, and, and to a further extent, CONCACAF were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. Well, everybody else knew, and I think this is what... Um, I just wondered if Dan Flynn had been smoking that stuff that was very popular with some <laughs> of the young people. Because when he started saying, we knew nothing about corruption at CONCACAF, you know, the regional soccer body, well, everybody else did. 
I was writing stories about Jack Warner, then president of uh, CONCACAF, back in 2002 about his ticket rackets at that World Cup. Then again in 2006. Then again in 2010. There was every kind of corruption going on there, and a lot of it was discovered and made public. And for Mr. Flynn to say he didn't know, never heard anything, until the FBI um, investigation was announced by the arrest in Zurich, he knew nothing. And if he really knew nothing. I think it was, I think it was, no, it was Senator Moran who chaired the hearing. Mm -hmm. He'd said earlier that if US soccer didn't know, well, goodness gracious me, they're not fit for purpose. And if they did know, they would have been in the prison van with the rest of them. It's just not acceptable for a man to be earning $650,000 a year and know nothing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, what do you think should happen next? I, I know that you were, uh, I, I believe, at one point calling for the nuclear option, Andrew. Is that the only way to go at this point, it, it, it is to blow up FIFA and start over? Well, there are two things that have to be done domestically. It's time, really, for the fans out there, the mums and dads who make sure that the kids play, uh, the, the players themselves, all the way up to the wonderful level of international representation of America, male and female, at all the various levels from the school playground upwards, they're going to be saying, "Let's get out of here. Let's get let's get thin and the current directors out because they are doing nothing for the reputation of America." and of the credibility of the management of American football. The women did very well, the men did very well on the international field, but that isn't all. That's commendable, but not enough. And really, there's got to be a revolution in U.S. soccer against the leadership of U.S. soccer, recalling Mr. Galati and sending him back to Columbia to, to teach economics or whatever he does there, sending Mr. Flynn into retirement, and getting a whole new organization. Now, on the international front, yeah, FIFA's not fit for purpose. We have this ridiculous news today that Seplas has decided that he's going to stay on until next February. Well, I'm not sure the feds will be terribly impressed by that. There's an awful lot going on, Jason, an awful lot going on. But it's not just the handful of rogues that have been arrested so far and a few more. The whole infrastructure of FIFA, all those guys in blazers with their tongues torn out in, in Zurich who never say anything but just do as they're told by the bosses. You've got to close it down. You've got to get out of Zurich. I fancy Amsterdam. Uh, sorry, The Hague in Holland, because it's next to International Criminal Court. Right. Mm-hmm. And you could send them straight in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a one-way treat. Uh, by the way, today, the, the news out of Zurich today is that while Sepp Blatter was, a t- uh, was holding a press conference, uh, some comedian managed to, to work his way through security and threw a, a, a wad of fake money at Sepp Blatter. As he was sitting oh, there at <laughs> the microphone, <laughs> uh, so there's those, those images are those images are all over the uh, all over the internet right now, Andrew. Um, you know, I think I'll, I'll, for a lot of fans, and I had this discussion last week on uh, on one of my shows. It, it, it's it's difficult to we have to compartmentalize. We have to view the game for what it is because we love it and want it to be. The, the, you know, we want it to be pure. We know it's not, but we have to forget that it's not while we watch. I mean, this is a very difficult sort of mental gymnastics that fans have to do. Uh, at, at this point, how would you, you know, what kind of advice would you give to fans who are uh, distressed by everything that's happening with its leadership, but also want to enjoy what is still the beautiful game? 
Let me just, before we just move into that, let's remind ourselves quickly that all these bribes, maybe $200 million, are money that should have gone into soccer, get, developing the game. It wasn't just money that was printed somewhere up in the stars. It was stolen from the game by these rogues. So how do you stop it happening again? I think there's going to be a completely new, fan-responsive leadership at, at U.S. soccer. People who say... I don't mind traveling in the economy seats where the fans are. I don't want to be in the posh seats at the front with the free champagne. I don't want to go to Zurich and meet Sepp Blatter. And if you could have a revolution, a, a nonviolent revolution inside U.S. soccer, you would find that you, uh, allies from Australia and New Zealand through to Western Europe who would agree we're getting out of Zurich, we're not going there. And you do that. You link up with other honest federations, and they do exist, uh, a lot of them, you know, of the 209, probably there, there must be more than 50 to start with. And if America went there, the sponsors and the networks would go because they can't manage without the support of Americans. And America could play a fantastic role by getting rid of Galati, uh, getting rid of Dan Flynn, and anybody who wants to support them, well, off they go. Go away. And we, we reform the organization and we talk to the, the friendly foreigners, and that could be the end. Well, you know, Andrew, I think that for, for, for you and for a lot of people, we imagine that all it will take is w taking out one fairly large, significant brick, at least in terms of the economic value of the country, and the whole wall will come tumbling down and we can start over. But what happens if the United States takes that step out and says, we're done with this, we're moving forward without FIFA, we're, we're not having any of this anymore, and nobody follows them. What happens to American soccer? Because I think that's the fear that holds us I back. I don't think that would happen. I think there are plenty of countries that are clean and would happily go with America. Not because it's a big, powerful nation, but you do have that in the networks, and you do have the money coming out of the sponsors, so that, 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 that's very useful. And frankly... Who wants to watch a World Cup where the finalists are Tanzania and Guinea-Bissau? <laughs> I mean, th th that's the reality. It's quite right that the replacement for FIFA, let's call it wo World Football Union, and until somebody comes up with a better idea. So we'll start with that. Of course, the money must go to developing nations, to nations where the kids haven't got football boots and there isn't proper pitches. Um, but they get it if they just support decency. And one of the problems that Sepp Blatter faces is so much of the development grants over the years have been stolen. Who's ever going to risk turning up to his so-called Congress next year if he's not in jail by then? Because who will risk going to an airport well, we're a policeman, you know, these fellows with the short hair and the firm hands say, could you step this way, please, sir? The Swiss police are investigating where all the development grants went, and a lot of them never went into the game. They went into bank accounts, probably back in Switzerland. So that the feds are doing a great job for the rest of the world. And if that continues, America would not be on its own. It would just be an honest country talking with other honest countries, particularly in Western Europe, where there can't be any World Cups if the Western European clubs don't want to get involved. They won't release the players. Yeah, you know, I, 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 guess, I guess what uh, holds this thing together. Uh, it, 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 at the same time, it seems impossible to penetrate and, and break apart short of more of these criminal investigations and, and indictments, Andrew, while at the same time sort of being a house of cards that if you did take out one significant element, it, it would all come, come. I've used two different analogies now today. Uh, that's just what FIFA does to people. I, um, 
I just, I just wonder how painful a process it'll be for for fans. And you know, I, again, I mean, nobody wants to mess with what is the biggest event in 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 world sports, and that's the World Cup. Well, they do. Yes, they do, Jason. Okay. Because right. the, um, in the short term, not in the long term. Right. But who is going? Is US soccer going to send its footballers to Qatar? Is it really going to go along with the racketeering that got the World Cup to Qatar? Is it going to put its players in jeopardy of playing in, a, in immense heat? Never mind the, all the nonsense they talk. Yeah. Who's going to send their players? Never mind America. That's important. Will the Western European clubs agree to that? And look at Russia. They're never going to find enough money to complete. They, they, they got the bid, and we wonder how they got the, they won it. But they won it when the oil price was high, and there were no sanctions against Russia. They're having great financial problems uh, delivering a World Cup. They're cancelling hotels, airports. Nobody's going to go. I talk to people who, who, who raise the packages. Americans are happy to go to Moscow and to St. Petersburg because they can fly in on reliable American and European airlines. There's no way they're going out to places in heard of on Russian airlines, which have an, an interesting habit of landing far too fast. <laughs> the whole thing, you know, isn't, it's not going to happen. I, I don't think Qatar will happen. I think Russia is still in doubt. Um, and so we're looking for a better way to do it. I hope 2018 goes to Holland, Belgium, although England would like it. They do better beer. They do fantastic beer. Yeah. You could go to Holland, Belgium, live on the in a hotel on the border, and go to matches in both adjoining countries and get wonderfully drunk in the evening. Beat that. Andrew, um, last thing here before I let you go. I know you're a busy, busy man these days. Do you uh, do you believe that the pressure that apparently is being placed on on uh, FIFA from American corporate sponsors is enough? Coca Cola making a statement uh, demanding certain independent oversight of FIFA is that enough? No, it's not because you say do it or we're out of here. Not right. I really think you should do something a bit honest. <laughs> well, well, how tough could Atlanta get? Wow. The South rises again, does it, and said, we really don't like what's going on, we hope you change. It's not good enough at all. I haven't heard anything solid from McDonald's. Do they want to go with the fans, or do they want to go with Seth Blatter all the way to jail? They've got to make us some moral choices here, and they're not making them yet. But the fans have to make decisions by forcing revolution in, world, in the U.S. soccer, which they can do. They can dump these people. They can whistle and boo every time Dan Flynn and his gang turn up at a game. We don't want you. Very, very powerful way to change. And then you'll find very good responses from Western Europe. Mm -hmm. You will not be alone, at, you know, only for 10 minutes, if that. <laughs> okay. All right, again, I think that's the, the fear here. And, and as a, uh, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this combination of America being a, a, an ascendant football soccer nation and wanting to reach the next level of that while at the same time having a responsibility perhaps to, uh, to, to play a leadership role in whatever happens next with FIFA. Andrew, I, I, like I said, I know you're a very busy man. I do appreciate your time today. Excellent discussion as always, and I'd love to have you back in the future. Don't jump at shadows. America should stand up for itself. There you go. <laughs> Andrew Jennings says it. We should do it. I appreciate the time. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you about FIFA governance and everything else at Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on a Monday on Soccer Morning. Man, what a show so far. Eric Gomez and his usual excellence and Andrew Jennings. Man, I love talking to Andrew Jennings every single time. Every single time. And he was brilliant at the Senate subcommittee hearing. You should go back and uh, watch it. I guess it's probably archived somewhere. Maybe C-SPAN's website, something like that. I'm, I'm sure there's some quotes pulled out but you want to get the whole andrew jennings experience like that's the you can't just read andrew jennings you got to watch and see and hear andrew jennings and like i said the man has been doing that work and in investigating fifa and uh these governing governance issues this corruption that runs rampant through world sport for quite some time now he has been doing it for a while and doing it well and uh, willing to put himself out there, get the difficult story, risk. I mean, the man's been banned from everything FIFA has, uh, everything FIFA does. And yet he still gets more information. He still has insight. He still has knowledge and uncovers things. And uh, it's good that we have him. As for the United States leaving FIFA, what do you make of that question? Yes or no? It's an it's a simple moral issue because if you believe the United States should leave FIFA, you have to be willing to take the risk that there will not be anyone following them. You have to take that risk. You have to be willing to take that risk. You can't make the assumption. Now, if the United States go out and negotiate, so and again, part of this is Andrew calling for the ouster of Asil Galati and Dan Flynn and the leadership of U.S. Soccer. Have they? Have they, have they, are they guilty of dereliction of their duty in light of the fact that they worked side by side with Chuck Blazer and Jack Warner for 25 years, never blew the whistle? Is Sunil Galati ultimately culpable here because even if he didn't do anything technically wrong, he knew what was going on and he didn't say anything? Let's talk actual soccer with Roberto up in Connecticut. How you doing, man? I just want to mention beforehand, um, imagine if that was John Oliver doing that in Zurich, throwing the money to Seth Blatter. Oh, you're right. That would be, yeah. Uh, why didn't that happen? Why didn't we get John Oliver over to Zurich to throw the money? That would have been, I mean, I'm sure this guy's got a great act and everything, this comedian who apparently he did, done, did something to Kanye at Glastonbury. I don't even know what happened there. But apparently this is like his second major coup of breaking through security or getting through security. Yeah, but if John Oliver did it, it'd be worldwide news. Every American in the country would know about it. <laughs> um, yeah, um, just switching um, tracks to the Gold Cup, obviously with the whole situation between Gold Theory and Mexico last night, do you feel that possibly CONCACAF would, I guess, punish Obi Peralta just like Conneval did for um, Gonzalo Haro when he did that situation with Cavani? No. In Copa America? No, because, you know, whatever Uribe Peralta did, it, I mean, we're talking about the penalty or we're talking about the red card or the the the, the tackle? The penalty. Yeah, you're talking about the. That's what I thought. The so-called flop. Right. Uh, you know, it's but that's the thing. Every striker worth his salt in the world does the same thing. Ariba Peralta did in that situation. I I don't know that. I mean, should he be punished? I guess so. But you're setting a precedent when you do that, because nobody else is getting punished for that. Yeah, but you look at the way he did it, and compared to the others, they did. Is there, is there any worse? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, I mean, mm. and if I'm if I'm if I'm a Mexican fan today, I'm glad he did it. And if I was an American fan and 
Clint Dempsey didn't, and Clint Dempsey has gone down easily many, many times in his career. If Clint Dempsey didn't do the same thing, I'd be wondering why. Why didn't Clint Dempsey take a chance and, you know, add a little flavor to that, to that fall and perhaps draw a penalty that wins the game? I, I, I want my players to look for that advantage. It's, a, it's anything to win, basically. Well, I mean, no, you play look, dirty or whatnot. It's not. It's not anything to win. But we live in a world in which that sort of "quote unquote" diving is so pedestrian and usual that if you don't do it, you are giving up an advantage in the game. If you don't do, if you, if Arriba Peralta had not fallen the way he fell, he is essentially passing on the opportunity to help his team win. It, you you either put the burden on the players, which I think is a ridiculous assumption that, that, that they would ever change their behavior, or you put the burden on the officials, the referees, the administrators, uh, the, the, et cetera, et cetera, and you demand that they, they, stamp, they clamp down. Now, I think that if you're going to punish something like what Ariba Peralta did, then you need to make sure that it's clear as day. This is what we're doing now. Any hint of diving. And the problem is that these are subjective calls, Roberto. Your dive is somebody else's. You know, he he fell. What are you talking about? He just fell. So how do you how do you adjudicate that? How do you adjudicate something that is fifty five percent one thing, forty five percent another? And let's go back to last year in the World Cup. I, I got to move on, Roberto. I'm sorry. Let's go back to last year in the World Cup when Aaron Robin goes down in the box. Rafa Marquez made contact. He made contact. Okay, it may have been this much contact, but it was contact. But Aaron Robin certainly sold it. So it's one thing and the other thing at the same time. How do you possibly figure out how to officiate that exactly right every single time? You can't. You can't. Let's go to Bill up in New York. You're on the air. How's it going, Jason? Maybe I'm missing something here with uh, Andrew Jennings. Why is it that the United States has to lead this front on FIFA? You know, that's a good question. We're, we're, a, country, we're a country where if soccer was gone tomorrow, 95% of this country care less about this. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even know the soccer was Well, I, I think that, I think, I think that might be part of it, though. I, Bill, I think that might be part of it for Andrew. For a couple of things. One, the, our, our sort of ridiculous moral superiority that we always hold out, our American exceptionalism. Two, the fact that all the corporate sponsors are based here. Three, well, not all of them. Gazprom's not, but everybody else. Three, the fact that it is lower stakes for the U.S. to pull out because soccer is not the top sport here, it means it should be easier for U.S. soccer to pull out than it would be, say, for uh, for the, the German FA or for the English FA or even for the you know Brazilian FA to actually make that step. They're, they would have a popular uprising, maybe. We wouldn't have that. Yeah, that's the thing. If we bail out of FIFA, gonna, who cares? It's the United States. Nobody cares. The whole country, well, 95% of the country doesn't care about soccer. Right, but that's... England and Spain, these countries should be leading this. They're the ones that should be up in arms. Everybody should be thanking us for what we just did with Bladder. It was incredible. The United States led this thing and got rid of Bladder. And yet now we're told, oh, we got to do more. <laughs> we should be doing more. <laughs> it, it pisses me off listening to this guy when he says this about how we need okay. to do more. But right. we've done more than Well, you know what it is? I think that Andrew Jennings... Uh, I think he has a belief in, in Americans, maybe, that goes beyond reality sometimes. And, and hey, look, Trevor's saying a good, you know, it's a good point that FIFA views the U.S. and, and world soccer views the U.S. Uh, all those clubs in Europe who are making those trips over here every summer, 
They view the U.S. as a as as an untapped market or a only partially tapped market. And if they keep pushing and soccer becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, everybody stands to make a lot more money through the U.S. market. Appreciate the call, Bill. I got running out of time here. Um, every, you know, everybody would stand to make more money. And if you kind of close off America from everybody else via a pullout from FIFA, then that would have some ramification, and everybody else would sort of fall into line. I don't know if the United States has the heft and the weight and the the leadership element to, to, to pull everybody along, but it certainly has a financial and economic clout. Let's go to Zach in Baltimore. Your last call, man. What's up? Hey, Jason. How's it going? It's going well, man. How are you? Good. Uh, so I'm talking about the Gold Cup doubleheader in Baltimore. I was at the, uh, was at the game, and I was just happy with how many U.S. fans stayed after uh, the U.S. game to watch Haiti and uh, Jamaica in a good game. That's that's good. Um, that's awesome because uh, I think Haiti's one of the stories of the tournament. So I mean, so is Jamaica. But yeah, I actually felt like you know Haiti um, probably not. I'm not des- I don't like the deserve to win that game trope. I'm not a big fan of that. I think you deserve to win if you put the ball in the net, and Jamaica did that. But they sh- acquitted themselves very well, and and probably you know on the whole should have won that game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the vibe in the stadium, Haiti definitely had won over all of the neutrals in the stadium. Uh, we were all, I think we were all rooting for Haiti to, to at least equalize, you know, because Jamaica didn't create too many chances. Uh, they just had, you know, Giles Barnes quality up top to, to finish up that one chance in the eighth minute. Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, there it is. In terms of the, you said that you saw the American performance, 6 nothing over Cuba. Nothing unexpected in that game. Everybody played relatively well. Um, obviously, the hat trick from yeah. Dempsey. But do you, are you buying that they have the momentum now that they can go and they can take care of Jamaica and, and make a final like we all expect them to? Um, well, I think the one of the few things you can take out of the Cuba game is the performance of Johansson. I think he he combined reasonably well, and I think he... He didn't really have too many chances to hold the ball up, but I think he did well. And so I look for him to be the, the danger man against Jamaica. All right, there you go. Appreciate the call, Zach. Got anything else? Uh, no, go USA. That's All right, it. appreciate the call, Zach, in Baltimore. All right, let's uh, wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. It's been jam-packed here. Eric Gomez, Eric Gomez 86 on Twitter. Go follow him. Fantastic stuff on the Mexican national team. The state of that team ahead of... The semifinal, they'll play Panama. Again, they lost to Panama in 2013 at this stage of the tournament. If they're going to make a final and have a chance to beat the United States on their way to a Confederations Cup, then they got to take care of Panama first. Both these semifinals, I believe, in Atlanta, the United States taking on uh, sorry, uh, Jamaica after Jamaica beat Haiti. Uh, tougher challenge for the U.S. by a factor of, of 10 or 15 over Cuba, but certainly uh, a game that they should win if Jurgen Klinsmann can capture and bottle whatever they they had in that game against Cuba, they should be fine. All right, today's been a wonderful show. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store. We have mugs and T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff over there. What else am I am I missing? Uh, iTunes, ratings and reviews. Um, let's, uh, let's keep this rolling on Twitter, by the way. At Soccer Morning, let me know if you believe... If you are buying Andrew Jennings' call for the United States to pull out of FIFA, yes or no? Simple question. Want to get the? Uh, you want to get a poll going on this? Should the United States pull out of FIFA? Uh, it's a, a very fascinating question with a lot of ramifications. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much to. 
Ooh, that's loud. Get that lower. To Trevor and uh, you guys and the callers, Bill and Roberto and everybody else. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Big Tuesday edition of the show. See you then. Bye.